Welcome to Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, May 31st. I'm your host, Anastasia Yuglova. Kenneth Minogue, the distinguished professor emeritus of political science at the London School of Economics, gave a talk recently at the Hudson Institute titled Individualism, True, False, and Muddled. Cato's Vice President for International Programs, Tom Palmer, commented on Professor Minogue's remarks. Tom is the guest for today's podcast. You recently commented critically on Professor Kenneth Minogue's talk at the Hudson Institute. So would you care to just summarize the gist of his argument here? Well, it was a, a complex presentation, unfortunately made primarily from notes, so there wasn't a written version on which to comment. But he made a historical claim that individualism emerged at a particular time, and particularly the 17th century in England. Then he argued that individualism was connected with a kind of vaunting arrogance of the individual, being somehow uh, celebrated. And then finally, that he felt that that led inexorably to what he called impulsivism, which is to say that this individual would just act however he or she pleased without any concern for normal social constraints or concerns about moral behavior or impact on others. And the argument was that this is made possible by material abundance. As we become a richer society, he argued, in an individualist society, people become more impulsive. So the argument, to summarize, is that individualism in abundant society leads to impulsivism. How does the professor draw these conclusions? What evidence is there? Well, first I should say that I think that the argument was false. I don't think that it was correct. But his argument was that as he looks out and he observes people, they seem to be more impulsive than when he was young. I pointed out that there's a great danger as we get older, and all of us are, that when we think that young people are going to the dogs, we should ask ourselves, is there objective evidence that young people are in fact going to the dogs, or are we just getting older? And in fact, people have been saying for 10,000 years that young people are going to the dogs. So you would think this would be a pretty terrible place by now if every generation is worse than the one that preceded it. What I think happens in these cases, and it's very, very common, is that we compare our behavior at our age with the behavior of younger people. So at my age, I look at someone who's 20 and I say, good Lord, that person is very impulsive compared to me. But that's not the relevant or interesting or scientific baseline for comparison. The question is, is that person more or less impulsive than I was at that age? And no evidence is available to indicate that that's the case. When I asked Professor Minogue for some empirical evidence, he said, well, rising teenage pregnancy rates and rising violent crime. Fortunately, because of the great material abundance of our society, they had Wi-Fi at the Hudson Institute, and I had my Apple Macintosh computer, which I flipped open and went to the statistical abstract of the United States and pointed out that, in fact, teenage pregnancy rates have been declining in the United States for decades, and so has violent crime. So, in fact, the evidence is that young people today are less impulsive than their parents were when they were young so that we have a society that is less impulsive, not more impulsive, more responsible rather than less responsible, and that, in fact, the evidence indicates that most children are behaving more responsibly than their parents were at that age. So he implies that our society has become more individualistic and more impulsive, but where does this concept historically of individualism come from? 
In common with many English academics, Professor Minogue identified England as the birthplace of individualism, and there is, of course, some reason to see that. The great libertarian thinkers, the levelers, and people such as John Locke were indeed English, but there were many others, and they were situated with a wider intellectual and cultural trend towards respect for the individual person. I would put it back much earlier. Of course, you can find among classical philosophers, notably the Stoics, a great deal of concern about individual conscience. But also, I think that the key moment intellectually is the High Middle Ages and one of the most important documents in the history of our civilization by St. Thomas Aquinas. Very technical work, not well known, called On the Unity of the Intellect Against the Averroists. There were some people, known as Latin Averroists, who argued that there was one soul for all of mankind. And that was their solution to an epistemological problem. How can you and I both know the Pythagorean theorem? so that we both have the same thing in our minds? Well, the answer is, we really have the same mind. In this technical term, we have the same material intellect. Thomas Aquinas attacked that very vigorously and very intelligently, both on philosophical epistemological grounds and also on moral grounds. He said if that were true, it would not be necessary for human beings to reason together or to debate and discuss things to come to conclusions. We would just all know the same thing that everyone else knows. And so he argued for the significance, both epistemologically and also morally, of the individual person, as he put it, the materially and numerically individuated person. So it has a great moral significance. It also enters into social science, particularly in the 19th century, and one of the great figures here is Karl Menger, the Austrian economist, in 1883, in his book Investigations into the Problems of the Social Sciences, that individualism is a necessary feature of any explanation of complex social phenomena. That is to say, no one can have the mind of God to design a social order. All social orders grow without having someone just designed it or made it all up. The market economy, our moral standards, how we get along, customs, artistic and scientific advance, and so on. So individualism requires us to ask, how can it be that each one of us, limited as we are in the knowledge available to us, can participate in a process that creates a social order that no one mind could have anticipated or created? So individualism is a very important part of the social sciences as an explanatory principle. And it's based not on some kind of arrogance, but in fact in humility and the limits, the recognition of the limits of our knowledge. I get that you contest his very premise in this argument, but did he offer a solution? Did he want to do away with either individualism or with abundance in order to arrive at less impulsivism? I think he was offering a kind of a diagnosis, and it wasn't clear what his solution was, but I think even his diagnosis was mistaken. I don't think that there is a disease of individualism that is run rampant. I don't think that, in fact, people are less responsible today, young people, than their parents were. I do think, however, that the welfare state over time has supported irresponsibility. I think that's been well demonstrated, and many scholars have identified strong correlation between what we would call irresponsible behavior and the welfare state because it shields people from the consequences of their behavior. I think, however, an individualist-oriented society is a society that puts moral responsibility at the front and center of its concerns. And the moral responsibility is not the society as a whole or the state or the nation. It's you and me acting as individual persons who bear moral responsibility. That's the foundation for the whole edifice 
of the philosophy of liberty and of a constitutionally limited government, recognition that each human being is a source of motion in the world, a source of change and activity, and we bear responsibility for how we act. As John Locke put it very neatly, he said, we own our acts. It sounds a little funny today to put it that way. We think of owning a car or a house or a book, but in fact, the most fundamental thing that you own are your actions because they are attributed to you along with the consequences of them. That is the real foundation of an individualist society, not I'll just do whatever pops into my head, but that the actions that I take have consequences and I bear those consequences for good or for ill, and that the legal structure of a free society recognizes the individual human person as the bearer of rights and the bearer of responsibilities. Thank you, Tom. And thanks for listening to Cato Daily Podcast. For more information or to find out how to give to Cato, please visit our website, www.cato.org.